Uh, bow your heads and let's pray. I want to pray and ask God's favor. Lord, you're kind. Thank you for every person that's here. No accident that they're here. And I am so, so incredibly privileged that I get to share your word with them. Lord, I believe with all my heart that your word is life and that we can just listen to scripture and our lives can be changed. Abba Father, please speak clearly to us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's set the scene. Let's set the scene. It's Goshen. There's a people group known as the River Crossers. The River Crossers. That's possibly one of the very root ideas behind this name called Hebrew. The Hebrew people. They're a small tribal group in the ancient Mediterranean world. Because of a famine, they're drawn to Egypt to buy bread. You remember the story, the Joseph story. And Joseph provides land for them in Goshen. And all of a sudden, this small little tribal group of ancient Mediterranean Palestinian people become this powerful group, about 1.5, perhaps even 2 million people. And because they've grown so large and they're such a virile people group, the Egyptians all of a sudden are afraid of the very people they tried to help. And so a power, a power play forms and Egypt tries to control them to ensure their own safety. There's enslavement and now we have slave labor. All right. And they're allowed to stay in Goshen if they help with the economy and the building programs of Egypt. All right. And at that point, abuse accelerates, abuse accelerates. And God raises up a deliverer. And his name in Hebrew means to draw from the water. And his name is Moses, right? And through Moses, this people group now, who are now called Israel, pass through the water, the dividing of the Red Sea, and they begin the journey toward the promised land, all right? They make their, their way over years and years, decades, before they finally get to the promised land. Moses has to be phased out. Uh, he can't lead them into the actual land. And it's his servant, uh, Joshua, that actually takes them in, right? And if you know anything about that moment in history, it's war. It's all about war. It's about military conquest, coming in and taking the land that God promised to them. You remember the stories of how Joshua leads them. Well, as you know, once they possess the land, things become very difficult for Israel. They have, they have this season of obedience, and then they have this season of disobedience. They cycle through these habits of following God and then dismissing God. Or, or they don't dismiss God. They just say, we're going to worship Yahweh, the God that led us out of Egypt. But we're going to worship some other gods too. So you need to understand that the Israelis were polytheistic. They had tendencies to worship more, more than one God. Okay? We are monotheistic. There's one God. But the Israeli people group, along with everybody else in the ancient Mediterranean world, they were all polytheists. They worshiped the moon, the sun, cattle, all these things. Well, Israel 
uh, was certainly a part of that. You might even remember when they worshipped the golden calf. All right. So during this season now in Israeli history, when they would obey, they'd have a good king, they'd obey, they'd have a bad king, they'd disobey, and all the corruption and the cleansing and, and the judgments, all those things, something is said by the prophets. The prophets keep saying this thing. And they, they would say, Israel, turn to God. Turn away from your pagan idols. Turn away from the, from the things that you can make with human hands and worship God who made the heavens and the earth without human hands. Worship the true God, not the gods made up by men. Don't do that. And they said, and all the prophets said this, there's going to be a coming deliverer. There's going to be this Messiah figure. He's coming. And I want you to turn to Isaiah 11. Because we're going to see descriptors of what this coming Messiah is like. What does he look like? How does he act? What does he say? Now, if you remember, even in the New Testament, the coming deliverer, they thought he was going to be a warrior. He was going to be a political figure. He was going to be a military figure. And he was going to commend. He was going to conquer Rome, expel the Romans out of out of. Uh, uh, the territory of the Jews, Judea, and then they would know the blessings of God. So in the New Testament, they're expecting a military figure. Well, guess what? In the Old Testament, they're expecting the same thing. They wanted like a David-like king who was a great political leader, but also a great soldier. If you remember in the Psalms, David says, Lord, you have taught me to bend a bow of bronze with my hands. I can, I can leap over a wall and attack a whole troop of men and defeat them. David was an amazing warrior and strategist. And so Israel had this idea that God's man is going to be like that, political, military-driven, and lead us in, in protection and those kinds of things. But this is what the prophet says about the coming Messiah, something very different. Look at Isaiah 11, verse 1. Then a shoot, a small thing will sprout from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see. Nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for the humble of the earth. For he will strike the earth. With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. That is Isaiah's first clear description of what this coming Messiah will be like. If you remember in Revelation chapter 1, it's, just, it's a, a description very similar to this. 
He has a sash and a belt about his waist. It's very similar. Everybody turn, turn to Isaiah 42. Let's look at this. Look at Isaiah 42, verse 1. And I want you to catch what's said about the Spirit. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit on him. That's the second time Isaiah said this. I'll put my spirit on him and he will bring forth justice for the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bent reed he will not break off. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. But he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he establishes justice on the earth. Fascinating. All right. Drop down to verse 6 in Isaiah 40, 42. I am the Lord and I have called you in righteousness. I'm going to hold your hand. I will hold your hand by my hand and I will watch over you and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Pay attention to this descriptor to open the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord. That is my name and I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to idols. This is the Messiah. Turn to Isaiah 61. Look at this. Isaiah 61. Look at what is said here. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord. This is the third time he says it. The Spirit of the Lord. God is upon me. Because he's anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Some of you know what it's like to be brokenhearted. You know searing pain like none other. He sent Jesus to bind up that broken heart, to proclaim proclaim release to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is beautiful language. This is the scripture. All right, last one. You ready? Turn to Luke 4. Turn to Luke 4. Look what happens in Luke 4. Right at verse 18, Jesus describes himself. All right? He is going to make it very clear. Pat, you know the scene there in the synagogue. He requests that the Isaiah scroll is given to him. The attendants give him the great scroll of Isaiah. By the way, that's a wealthy synagogue that had the Isaiah scroll. He unrolls it. And this is what Jesus, the Messiah, says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All right. So let me ask a question. I want to steer your attention to the evidence of God. All right. And here's here's where we're going right now. We have walked through several texts that describe Jesus, who he really is, the Messiah, 
the one that God said is the answer to all the problems of humankind. All right. And the influence that Jesus has. In other words, if we're going to follow him as Lord and Savior, as Messiah, this is the kind of influence he wants on our lives. Do you understand that he wants us to be free? He wants, to, wants us to be free from this prison kind of way of life. He doesn't want us to be imprisoned. Uh, no raising of hands. Those online, no raising of hands. Not that we could see it, but you get the point. Addiction will make a prisoner out of you. It will grab you inside your mind and inside your heart and you will be chained to your addiction. And it will rob you of all freedom. You know what I'm talking about. You know people who battle this stuff. All right. He said, I want to give sight to the blind. I want to give sight to the blind. It's interesting that we struggle with figuring out truth. It's as though we're blind to the right thing. And sometimes all we can see is the wrong thing. And we get stuff so twisted up in our heads that we live in this fog of confusion. We lack mental clarity. We struggle with just thinking clearly about life and about our relationships and how you do life. And, and th- there's a bit of a, a bit of a humorous exchange between the, the therapist and the patient. And, and, the, and the patient says, well, I was on Amazon and I found these things I wanted and I, I clicked them and I put them in my cart and I was scrolling right over the buy now button and the therapist said, and what did you do? <laughs> and the patient said, I clicked by now. And the therapist said, did you think ordering again from Amazon is going to make you happy? You know, sometimes we're in bondage to buying things and shopping and scrolling. And, you know, we, we got to click it, got to click it, got to click it. Another Amazon package, you know. Half the surprise is just open in the box, you know. Oh, oh. Remember, remember when you were a little kid and you would get the little prize in the cereal box and you'd, you'd run your hand through the cereal all the way down the bottom and to fish that thing out, you know. It's like if we get a new thing, it's going to make us happy. Did you know that Jesus wants to set us free from that kind of stuff? Yeah. The evidence of God and the evidence of God's Messiah in us that we start to see. We start to see things for what they really are. We get answers. He gives us counsel. He wants to open up our ears. He wants to open up our eyes. And I love the fact, this is beautiful, in Isaiah, back in Isaiah 11.3, he says, he will not judge by what he sees. Not judge by what he sees. I want to develop that just a little bit. If we could be honest for the moment... We judge by what we see. We will look at people and we'll make a judgment call based on their physical features. We'll make a judgment call. By the way, the ancient Romans actually practiced that. 
They had medical doctors in Rome and in Greece that believed in what are called physiognomics. And, and if I could give you the medical policies of physiognomics in Roman Greek, if you look stupid, you are stupid. <laughs> Welcome to Rome. If you look like a fool, you probably are. Yeah. Rome believed that stuff. And guess what? Can we have a little bit of honesty? We do the very same thing, don't we? We make judgment calls on people if we think they're not dressed well or whatever the case may be. We judge them. We judge by what we see. Jesus won't do that. Anybody here have a, uh, again, rhetorical. Anybody here have a tendency to try to present yourself in public as something very different than who you are in private? You want to put on a show, put on a front. You want to impress people. You want people to believe that you're something you're not. That is something Jesus, he sees through all that stuff. He sees through it all. Okay? He does not judge by what he sees. And he will not judge by what he hears. He has the ability to see through all the facades. Sees through all the fronts, all the ways we hide who we really are on the inside and get right to the issue. All right. Okay. so here's my question for you. If Jesus is inside of you, the Messiah. Does this characterize your life? Does it characterize my life? Do I have a spirit of knowledge, spirit of counsel? Do I delight in the fear of the Lord? By the way, by the way, isn't that, a, isn't that a bit of a thorn in the side to fear God? We almost think like, you know, well, then he must not be very nice. We've got to be afraid of him. <laughs> what do you think it means functionally to have the fear of God? Now, go ahead and answer. What does it mean in a practical, functional sense that if God is God and his son is Messiah and he lives inside of us, if we're going to have the fear of the Lord, what would that look like? What do you think? Respect. Respect. That's very good. Keep going. What else? What else? The fear of God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Lisa, you're getting at it. Absolutely. So, so do you see the dilemma? That if he's going to rule over our life, several things have to be settled. Number one, does he know what he's doing? Is he a good ruler? Does he know what he's doing? And then, obviously, the great assumption is, well, we submit to that. Yeah. And there's the rub, isn't it? For a lot of us, can we, be, can we have a little moment of honesty here, a little transparency? For a lot of us, our faith is a theory. It's an idea. We ascend to these things between our ears, but we don't live this out in our hearts. Patch? There's also a healthy understanding of our limits. Of what's that, sir? There's also a healthy excuse, understanding of our limits in yeah. Not bad things in and of 
themselves, yeah, but yeah. in the absence of God and the relationship with Him, yeah. they bring a sense of ourselves being the God and not yeah. the God of the universe. Yeah. So understanding our limits in relation to what He can do, what He has done, and what He continues to do, yes. allows us to have a fear of Him. That's so good, Patch. That is so good, yeah. All right, let's, let's focus on this, and then I want to turn it over to you. Let's talk about Christmas gifts under the tree. Um, for a lot of people, okay, a lot of adults, uh, there's a kind of secret disappointment about, about Christmas, a secret disappointment, okay? Um, and that is this. What we really want will not be under the tree on December 25th, Okay. Now, when you're a little kid, you hope it's the new Nerf gun, right? Uh, Jacob liked the new automatic Nerf gun thing or something like that, you know, or the uh, high-tech Nerf sniper rifle or something like that. You know, we, we love that stuff. Um, and little kids, the new soccer ball and, and all these things. And they anticipate that, and we as parents do our best to make that happen. And it's beautiful. And as we say, Christmas is for kids, Right. And you, you watch that little guy, that little little girl, open up that present and their eyes and the smile. And we go, wow, this is beautiful. This is Christmas. And it makes you happy. And yet, we as adults, there's something deep inside of us. We typically don't talk about it. What we long for. What we believe. Now, let's get real honest. Would make us happy. You know what I mean by happy? I'm not talking about you, you, you bite that amazing Cheeto Lee and that burst of flavor and it's just a party in your mouth, but then it goes away. Not that kind of happiness. I'm talking about the happiness that's deep, that would finally fill the void. It's not going to be under the tree on December 25th. It's just not going to happen. And we as adults have to kind of swallow hard and say, hey, it is what it is, and we're going to push through, and we're going to make it about the kids. And we're going to decorate, and there's going to be great food, and it's beautiful. Is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. It's beautiful. But this is what I want you to really lock on to about God's evidence and the proof that he's at work in your life. Okay, you ready? At least if God knows us. Okay. And if he can see through all the, the veneers, and if he sees the deepest needs of our heart, do you realize the genius of his sending his son? Do you understand the genius of that? For example, if, if we could, if, what if we prayed this kind of prayer? And we said, Jesus, God, would you please bring presents under my Christmas tree that you think I need? What if we pray that prayer? Dear God, give me the presents you would pick for me. I'm going to trust you that on Christmas morning, December 25th, the presents from you are going to be exactly what I need that you believe would make me happy. What if those gifts are something like this? I'm going to bring good news to the poor. The gift of good news. What's the good news, Lee? Salvation. Salvation. How about that one? How's that for a gift? Right? Given by God. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
His only son. How did he give Jesus? He gave Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. To die for the sins. Our sin issues. Our addictions. All the junk inside of our broken human lives. That separate us from God. Jesus Christ removes that wall of separation. So that we can have a relationship with God. And the outcome of that is heaven. So the gift he's going to bring us is going to be good news. And then he's going to proclaim release to the captives. Wow, what a gift. Release to the captives. I want to say something. And uh, if you believe, let me set you up. (laughs) If you believe your pastor knows what he's talking about. If you believe your pastor is a man of God, if you believe your pastor loves you and cares for you, what I'm about to tell you is extremely important. Okay? He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Listen closely. Some of you have been in bondage to your childhood and to past trauma And it's robbing you of a functional, meaningful adult life. It's time you get out of jail. It's a miserable way to live. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we so adapt to that captive mindset that we play into it. And we play into it in our relationships. We play into it with ourselves how we treat people, how we treat our kids. It goes on and on and on and on. I'm telling you, please hear me. God doesn't want you to be a prisoner anymore. He doesn't want you to be captive and held captive by your past or anybody else's dysfunction. He doesn't want you to live that way. Then don't act it out. Don't give in to your past. Don't give in to the wrongness of a horrific mother. Don't give in to the wrongness of a horrific father or an abandoning father. Whatever it is, Satan wants you handcuffed and imprisoned and you don't have to live that way because Jesus gives the gift of setting captive people free. If he's in you, Where's the evidence? Where's the proof that you're living freely under the grace and the love of Jesus? Recovery of sight to the blind has that for a gift, blind. It seems innumerable, the people that come to me and they go, Chris, I just can't see it. I don't get it. I can't figure this out. It's like I'm blind to what's going on and the truth around me. And life is this this groping through the dark, trying to figure stuff out. Listen, Jesus is the light of the world. If we follow him, we don't walk in darkness. We walk in light. He wants to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is really important. And and, and I'm I'm wrapping it up with this, right?
it's critical that we, that we understand the heart of God. All right. If you have not yet settled that God wants to give you favor, that God wants to show you grace, then your faith is, is, is going to be really damaged. All right. If you can't settle the heart motive of God towards you, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough way to go. Please hear me. Jesus came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. All right? You've got to settle that. What's the evidence of God? (laughs) He's on the cross. He's bleeding out. More than anything, Jesus is dying from asphyxiation. His body is exhausted. Eventually, you can't stand up to allow the lungs to empty themselves and take in fresh air. So he's slowly suffocating. And there's, there's soldiers are down at his feet. By the way, he's crucified just a couple feet off the ground. You know that, don't you? It's not that like that velvet arch stuff, you know, where the cross is like 30 feet high and way taller than the other two. No, that's not what it was. They were all the same height, and it was literally an in-your-face process. They would hang their victims so close to the ground that you would have to look them eye to eye when you walk by. That's Rome. That's the Roman mindset. It wasn't some beautiful thing way up high, just a foot or so off the ground. That's all it was. While he's in the death process. By the way, the Romans believed, Roman soldiers, they were trained in this. They believed the one moment a man, any man, would speak truthfully and say the deepest stuff from the heart is when a man is dying. Deathbed confessions, you've heard of these things, right? Rome believed what is said during the death process is some of the most brilliant, truthful, and honest disclosure that that a man can give. So the, the soldiers are down there casting lots for his things, you know. They're mocking him and all those things. And what does Jesus say? What did he say? Father. How's that for the evidence of God that he is? He's showing favor. And another word for favor, if you don't understand what that is, it's called grace. He's showing grace. Moms, dads, adults, what if those presents were yours? What if you opened them, opened them, because they got your name on it, right? (laughs) It's for you. And you moved your faith from the theory to the way you live. So that the evidence of God could be seen in you. They could see, hey, you hang out with Jesus because I can tell. You see you don't act like you're oppressed. You don't act like you're imprisoned. You don't act like you're handcuffed to your history. You're walking out the truth and grace of God. How beautiful would that be? That would be an amazing thing to see. All right. Now, you're the church. You're the body of Christ. Listen, no one speaks from bitterness. No one speaks from pride here. Not healthy. No one speaks and grabs a mic because you didn't get picked for kickball in the first grade. 
It's not what it's about. We're not trying to give somebody an ego boost. I want you to speak because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to speak wisdom, to speak words of grace, to speak truth. Always be, be polite. Always. You're the body of Christ. Based on the teaching from Isaiah 11, 42, 61, Luke 4, and there's actually many, many others. How do we live this out? How do we open a present with our name on it and live it out? So that our faith moves away from theory and it moves toward the evidence of God that Jesus is inside of us. How do we do it? You're the church. Um, so I know that I definitely struggle with this, but whenever we realize that God wants to give us grace, we have to make sure that we're willing to do the work. And a lot of times it's harder to open up the gift and be like, okay, so this is what I had growing up. And especially with like parenting really, like I grew up with a lot of and aggression. Right, right. Um, but I don't want that for her. Yes. But it's a lot of work like going through the parenting things and the what style of parenting and like yeah. whatever but and then realizing yes I was hurt by that but I don't want it to continue and breaking a yeah. lot of those yeah. um, general, gen- generational that yep. generational <laughs> curses yeah making sure that I recognize what I'm doing what's wrong and then apologizing to her she's only one but <laughs> yeah. if you practice now maybe yeah. by the time she can understand it you'll have yeah. a handle oh that's it. so good Anna that's so good proud of you really really proud of you thank you for what you've said someone else how do we live this out the evidence of God that the, who the Messiah really is by the way we have a tendency to make him out to be like us you know we create God in our image not good if, if Jesus the one that proclaims sight for the blind and the prisoners are free. I mean, if that's real and it's in us, then how are we going to live? So, what do you think? Someone else? Questions also? And, by the, and anybody online, if you've got a question, please ask Steve. Anybody? Tests and trials. Thank you, Edie. Anybody else? Anybody? That reminds me of the scripture where it talks about, you know, as earthly fathers, you don't give your kids serpents as gifts. Yes. Like How much more does the Heavenly Father know what you need as a gift? 
Yes, that's so good. Matthew 7, Quentin, thank you very, very much. Yes. If a, if a son asks for a fish, you don't give him a snake. If a son asks for a loaf of bread, you don't give him a stone. Absolutely. Anybody else? You've done well. Yes, sir. Really? Love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you beat me to the punch, brother. All right. Let me, let me give you some of the evidence that Jesus is in you. Now, this is the good stuff. All right. And by the way, it clears the field. You ready? The fruit of the Spirit is love, really. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want you to appreciate something. Those texts, everyone that I read, they all have a common denominator. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right. When you get God... When you get God's son, I should say, you get Jesus. When you get Jesus, you get the spirit. All right. And the evidence of God in that is when we see those fruits. And it begins with love. Absolutely. And when the love of God is real in us, we're able to share love with others. All right. If you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never prayed a prayer that's going to be something like this, Abba, Father, I've sinned against you and my sins have separated me from you. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the full payment of the guilt of my sins. And I'm going to trust that he is the one that can heal me, forgive me, and restore my relationship to you. I will follow your son, Jesus. If you've never prayed that prayer in, the, in, in, in an honest moment with you and God and put your faith in Jesus, if you've never done that, you're not born again. John 3, 3, if anyone is not born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. We're saved by faith, not by works. We don't earn it. We don't brag about how good we are. That, that's not the evidence of God. It's only what God has done. We're going to pray here in just a minute. And, and I want you to, to, to turn to God. And I want to challenge you. Please be open to receive the gift. God's gift of salvation. And if you do, your life is going to be radically different. And then you're called. You need to be baptized. And you need to live out your faith. Walk with him. And enjoy the, his favor in your life. If you, um, what about this? You're, you're the person who has, um, you're handcuffed to your history. Handcuffed to your history. You're not free. You're not walking out. God's grace is a free man. You're in jail. Some odd psychological jail. You need to let Jesus take the handcuffs off, off your past, and walk freely. No longer be a prisoner of this world, no longer be a prisoner to the lies, but be a bondservant of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. I want to pray over you. Abba Father, thank you so much for every person that's here. Abba, Father, I pray that we would open your good gifts and and that we would live out what your son Jesus is all about. To be free. To walk out love and grace. To bear the fruit of the Spirit. 
Abba, Father, we love you and we thank you. And we're excited where we get to sing love songs to you now. Would you bless, receive our words in our worship from the depth of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.